Just a final reminder, I'm, when I'm washing my hands, you don't stand up. And then when I say, pray brothers and sisters, and I put my hands out like that, that means don't get up. And then when I do that, that means get up and respond. So I think we almost got it. Except the 4 p.m. They got serious problems. They, <clears throat> we're working on them. There's a, I think, a really deep spiritual truth that's revealed to us today in the, in the second reading in the gospel. And that truth is, is that God tends to start small, what is seemingly insignificant, but it has great power. And for the most part, nobody sees what's going on in his workings until it's done. Think about this. I was, I was, as I was praying about this, I started to look at, like, even Jesus. Just look at his life. Now, we look at him and we're like, well, yeah, I mean, he was the, a global phenomenon, right? He rose from the dead. He's so well-known. But if you look when he was born, I mean, he was born in a no-name town to an ins- insignificant family. We, didn't, we don't even know the correct date of his birth. The only reason we can surmise what a time frame of his birth was is because the Romans recorded his death. And then we just work back 33 years and say, well, it was around 3 to 4 B.C. Because he was some sort of significant figure by the time he died. Most of his time was spent in a little town of Nazareth, which was a dumpy little town. We know that. Because Nathaniel says to Philip, right, can anything good come from Nazareth? I don't think he would have said that if it was like a vibrantly, you know, virtuous town. And then if you look even in today's society, they, they had no power. Israel was not a world power. At the time of Jesus, they were completely under the submission of the Romans. If you were to give everybody in the world at that time a, a, a million guesses, where the change that was going to affect the world for millennia was going to come from, no one would have said Galilee. No one. And yet this little mustard seed, right? Because a seed is very interesting. Seeds are, I'm always fascinated by seeds. Seeds, right, they're these little things and then they turn into big things. They're just loaded with potency. They have great power. But they're seemingly insignificant when you see them. And in order to get to that power, it takes time. You could say, well, what about his preaching, his miracle working? He did it for three years. Three years. Into, you know, relatively small crowds. You could argue, I suppose, that when he fed the 5,000, that that was a big crowd. Okay, but in the scheme of the world, it's pretty small, and it was one time. And on top of all of this, he is killed by his own people. In the Christian world, the Christian philosophical worldview, nothing is as it seems. This is what Paul says when he says we walk by faith, not by sight. He means we walk, in other words, we live not by appearances. Because appearances often deceive. The Christian is always looking far further, far deeper than the worldly man or worldly woman. I was at a funeral a couple years ago and there was this woman at her mom's funeral and the, the young woman went up to the casket and I was standing there and her mom had really deformed hands, like 
kind of grotesque even looking hands. They were severely burned and maimed and she went up to the coffin and she put these gloves onto her mother's dead body. And I'm like, why would you do that? And she said, well, I always did that because I was always ashamed of my mother's hands. And when she was talking, this other lady came and said, I think it's time you know what really happened. And she said, well, what do you mean? And she said, my mom always said it was just a, a, a fire accident when I, was, when I was really young. And she said, it was an accident with fire. But you don't know what really happened. What really happened is your mom and dad were sitting in the living room and they smelled smoke. And they ran into your room and they had a little candle there. And it had fallen and it had lit the room on fire. And your crib was on fire. And your mother didn't even think twice. She ran to the crib and grabbed the blankets and ripped them off of you. And put out the fire with her bare hands. And that's why her hands were maimed and burnt. And what you said was grotesque. And the girl started crying and said... Here all along I was ashamed of those hands that saved me. They're not ugly, they're beautiful. Nothing is as it appears in the Christian world and we have to remember that. What she was looking at was not the real reality. It appeared to be something ugly, but it wasn't, it was something beautiful. And if you would have asked anybody about Jesus... At the end of his life, they would have said he was a failure. In fact, they did. It's in the Bible. Right? The disciples are walking to Emmaus. Jesus comes up and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, oh, you haven't heard? <clears throat> Jesus, this prophet, he was mighty in signs and power. And he was going to be the savior of Israel. But he died. He died. He, in essence, was a failure. On the surface, it looked like God had been defeated. But actually, God had already won. On the surface, in the eyes of the world, the whole life and ministry of Jesus, relatively speaking, was unseen. But what came from it was the biggest effect the world has ever experienced. Thus, we walk by faith, not by sight. When things are falling apart, we trust that God will have the final say, just as he did at the cross with his son. And that is important, you guys, right now. That God's greatest work oftentimes goes unseen. And when everything looks like God is losing, He's actually winning. And will win on a scale that we could never have imagined. This truth is more important than ever right now for Christians in the world that we live. I talk to people all the time and they're like, Why doesn't God just strike down certain government people? That would be a lot easier. Just take them out. And God says no. And why does he say no? Because he's doing something way bigger. Way bigger. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. How many of you, just simple raise of hands, know who Carol Whitea is? Okay, yeah, a few. Okay, put your hands. Raise your hands if you know who John Paul II is. Okay, that's Carol Whitea. Okay, same guy. <clears throat> that's his birth name. Right? And he took the name John Paul II when he was made Pope. Here's the big one. Raise your hand if you know who Adam Sapieha is. Do you? 
Influenced him. All right, close. One person knows Adam Sapieha. He was the cardinal that accepted John Paul II into the seminary, protected him, let him live at his private residence, dressed him as a cleric to protect him from the Nazis, and provided for his every need. With our, without Cardinal Sapieha, there is probably no John Paul II. Yet none of you know him. Many of the people at the time didn't know him. He was working in the background to form this little Polish man. This little mustard seed. It seemed as though Poland would never be saved. It was controlled by the Nazis and then even worse by the communists. But the whole time, God is actually working. Raising up this little Polish guy to take on a superpower. Now, if you were in Poland at the time, I would guess you would say, God, why don't you just kill Hitler? Why don't you just take out Stalin? And God says, no. I don't work like the world works. And if you and I would have asked God, hey, what's your plan to take out the communists? And God would have said, oh, this little Polish guy. We would have been like, right. One little Polish man is going to wipe out a national superpower. And God says, uh-huh. That's exactly what's going to happen. Give me a break. None of us would have believed that. I mean, there's even a, a written document. There's documentation of Joseph Stalin wrote to Pope Pius XI and essentially said to him, Holy Father, tell me, what kind of army do you really have? In other words, Pope, where's your power? Where's your tanks? Where's your soldiers? Where's your guns? Where's your bombs? You have nothing. And Pope Pius XI writes back and says, Joseph, <laughs> I wish you would have said Joey. <laughs> he said, Joseph, you will find my army in eternity. Yeah. And I'm sure Joey probably has by now. That's faith. Standing up to evil. Pope Pius XI isn't afraid because he knows. Yeah, Stalin, you got all your big bad war soldiers and guns and all this worldly power has never, ever won. The only one that has won is the King of Kings who is still seated on his throne. But that's walking by faith. I don't know if you know, this, the story of King David is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. There's this point when David, the greatest warrior in Israel, who never loses, the Philistines are bearing down on Israel, and they all come, his generals come to David, and they're like, David, what are we going to do? And he says, I don't know. God hasn't spoken to me. And he said, but they're right here. What are we going to do? He's like, I, I got to wait for God. And then all of a sudden... God reveals to him exactly what's going to happen. So imagine you're the generals and I'm David, okay? David says, all right, guys, I got it. Come here. And they're like, thank God. You know, like, <laughs> they're right there. What are we going to do? And he's like, okay, here's the deal. We're going to sit on that hillside. And they're like, okay, gotcha. And then we're going to wait 
until we hear footsteps on top of the trees. And then we're going to know that that's the Lord's army going ahead of us. And then we'll attack behind him. Really? I would have been like, are you kidding me? That's our battle plan? And yet, that's exactly what happens. And Israel destroys the Philistines. That's living by faith. That no matter what odds are against us, we can't lose. Yes, there will be struggle. Yes, there will be a fight. But we can't lose. God will always have the final word. He has since the time of the crucifixion. He wasn't defeated on the cross. He will not be defeated in the United States, nor anywhere else in the world. He's risen from the dead. He cannot die again. And he's told us the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So no matter how bad it gets, we cannot lose. But we will be tested. And God will do it in a way that we never could have imagined. In 50 years, some of us will look back and be like, can you believe how he did it? Because God's ways are not our ways. J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of The Lord of the Rings, said this. I love this quote. The birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus means that one day, everything sad will come untrue. Everything sad will come untrue. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sin. On the cross, we don't see a man condemned, tortured, or crucified, but rather a king, courageous in glory, conquering sin, destroying death, fighting for us. We don't see Christ struggling for his last breath as he died on the cross in misery and defeat, but rather we see the glory of our salvation because for Christians, things are never as they appear. And we don't remember a dead body sealed in a grave after the crucifixion. We remember every Sunday the unthinkable. A shattered stone and an empty tomb. Because nothing is impossible for God. But do you and I really believe that?